0: This morning, I want us to go in Scripture, and uh, Nikki, you don't have to advance me one there, I've, I've, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere with this thing, so advance me one slide. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to, there we go, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to this morning, and uh, Alicia, you nearly did it again. You know, Alicia in our life group, just about every morning she gets into my message territory, And uh, that doesn't offend me. Don't mistake that. Uh, In fact, I think it's good because sometimes I struggle. I wrestle with things to know that I'm on the right track because I don't want to give you anything more or anything less than what God wants for you this morning. And I've got news for you. Whoever you are, each and every one of you in this room this morning, you're not here by an accident. You're not here by mistake. You're not here by coincidence. You're here because God wants you here. If you're watching my live stream, I believe you're watching because God wants you to, and don't log off, don't sign off. So as we go to Matthew chapter 13, I want to read to you uh, some verses of Scripture beginning at verse number 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. And when the wheat sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds, then the weeds, pay attention to that. Then the weeds also became evident. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir... Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Verse 28. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, do you want us to go then, uh, want us then to go and gather them up? He said, no. While you were gathering up weeds, You may, while you are gathering up weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the weeds and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've entitled, Faking It But Not Making It. Faking it, but not making it. I first want you to realize with me this morning that uh, there's an old adage that says location is everything. You know, it used to be build it and they will come. And there may be some truth still found in that. But location is everything. There's major stores. Walgreen is one of those stores. Walgreen will only build a store on a certain, certain corner. In certain certain intersections, they 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 are very picky and choosy of where they will build their stores. Location is everything. Most of us, uh, when we think about location, we in this parable we look and we think this location is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Most of us will agree that uh, in heaven there's no sin. In heaven, there is no corruption. We're taught that. We're, the word of God actually confirms that to us. Heaven's a perfect place. You know, there's no dog bites. There's no poison oak. There's no COVID. There's no death or dying. There's, there's no cancer. There, there's, there's nothing that we think of as, as the bad things of this world that we live in. There, there's, there's no filth. Some of you young, I, I guess young people still have, uh, some, some young people still have chores. I know my, my grandkids, they still get chores assigned to them. There's no trash to take out. They're, you know, carry, there'll be no dumpsters to dive in. He's, that sort of saddens him just a little bit. There, there'll be, there'll be, there, there, there's nothing negative about heaven. There's nothing bad about heaven. It, it's it's the, the kingdom of heaven. If we think of it as that eternal place. Location is everything. I, the, the location that I spend eternity in means everything to me. Now I, I shouldn't I shouldn't love Jesus just because I don't want to go to hell. I should love Jesus because he loved me enough to give his life for me. But a benefit of loving him is I don't have to go to hell. Somebody said, How can a loving God create a hell? how can a, a loving God send people to hell? Well, he, I got news for you. He does it. He does it. It's a choice. It's a choice that every one of us get to make. Every, every one of us has that opportunity. Heaven as we call it and heaven is used here in the scripture is, is, it actually comes from a Greek word, araña, arainos, O-U-R-A-N-O-S, or araenos. And it refers to the expanse of the universe. It's not talking about the heaven. That we think about going to when we die. Heaven here is is used in describing all of the planets and the stars and the sky. It's what a lot of people refer to as the first heaven. It's what we can see. It's the atmosphere and even though some of it's far removed, many, many, many light years away. It's still the atmosphere of this earth and the universe that we live in. In this atmosphere that we live in, in the heaven that is actually being referred to in this portion of Scripture, we find that uh, it refers to the elements of, of both darkness and light. Both darkness and light, and both good and evil dwell in the atmosphere that we live in. You see, when Satan fell the lucifer if you would fell from heaven it's it's recorded in the scripture that that he was seen fallen as, as stars from heaven falling to the earth the atmosphere that we live in is not a perfect place if you haven't figured that out yet the atmosphere that we live in is not a place that as long as we're here until until a certain time when I preached about last Sunday and Jesus comes back and sits one foot on land and one foot on sea and declares that time shall be no more. Until that time arises, let me tell you, there will continue to be cancers. There will continue to be uh, uh COVIDs. There will continue to be dog bites. And there will continue to be brars out in your garden thistles in your yard and all of the elements of the earth that are a result of the fall of humanity will exist on this earth. And in this parable, Jesus is talking about, as He talks about being under the heavens, He's talking about the, 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 the owner of the property, and He's talking about the property. This all brings us to an understanding that Jesus is referring to the earthly domain that we dwell in. And no person is exempt from the elements of this world. None of us. Not one single one of us. We know the Scripture refers, in one place it, it shares in Scripture with us, that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Listen, bad things happen to good people. Every good person is not necessarily saved. Bad things happen to Christian people. And sometimes good things happen to people that don't give the Lord a thought. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. We live in an earth that has fallen. E- each of us whether we're saints or sinners we live under or we live in the kingdom of heaven such as the atmosphere of this earth the elements of this domain that we live in are all around us as we begin to look at the elements of this parable the sower has is given in verse 37 is none other than Jesus In verse 37, the sower of the, the seed is none other than the Lord himself. And the Lord sowed good seed in a corrupt earth. He come and he sowed good seed among the earth and the earth is more than the soil that we, we live on and we walk on and we dig around in. The soil is the heart of every man, woman, and boy and girl. But I want you to take note in verse 24 that we, we already have seen that the, the sower is Jesus, but I want you to notice this in verse 24, the sower owns the soil. You know, we we God has created us in His image, in His likeness. And he desires us. In other words, we are his soul. We are his. We are his belonging. We belong to him. Even if we and and don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that you're saved regardless. I'm not a Calvinist this morning, and I I, I, I don't teach a, a doctrine of predestination. But yet, there's not a person on the face of the earth that's ever been created, that ever that has ever lived, that God does not love. There's not a person that has ever breathed the breath of oxygen in this. This world, this atmosphere, this domain, the earth that we live in, that Jesus did not die for. And we are the soil. So the sower sows seed into the soil. That's us. But the problem with us is the soil. Just like the soil of the earth is cursed because of man's rebellion and is separated from God. So are we true the true you see you see it's not it's not the the smoking cussing, drinking, chewing, backbiting gossiping, stealing cheating lying uh whatever else it's not those things in essence that separate us from God it's our rebellion it's our rebellion it's us turning against God it's us turning our hearts against God it's us. Turning ourselves away from the presence of God. And as we turn ourselves away from the presence of God, then sin begins to inhabit our life. And the fruit of sin will begin to, the works of the flesh will be manifest out of us. You see, that's what the situation that we find ourselves in. That's the circumstance that, that, that we, we, we have arrived at as people. We're, we're, we're living in a fallen world and we're fallen people, but, but yet the Lord has come, the owner of the field and the sower of the seed has come and he has sown his good seed into the hearts of humanity. The seed, the wheat, As we read in this scripture. The the wheat is, is a symbolic of complete provision. Throughout scripture you see wheat many, many times throughout scripture. Wheat is a biblical type or a metaphor of God's perfect love and goodness. Whenever you see wheat. In the Scripture, whenever, whenever you read about the mill and the widow's barrel for, for barrel, for example, wheat is the biblical metaphor for God's perfect love and all of His goodness. And the Scripture identifies what Jesus sowed, the wheat that He sowed, as good seed. Jesus came to give us good things. God wants us to have good things. In fact, He told the prophet Jeremiah, He said, I have great plans for you. He wants you to have good things. He wants me to have good things. He has good seed there available for us. The seed, if you would, is the Word of God. He gives us a seed. The Scripture specifies that He gives us good seed and that seed is the Word of God. So, He gives us the soul. the sower gives us the soil, the seed, the good seed, the wheat, which is the goodness of God to bring forth. In other words, let me, let me, let me summarize everything I just said in a real quick sentence, if I would, or maybe two sentences. God, God made us. He created us in His image and His likeness. We are that soil. And God gave us His seed, His goodness, that we may produce a good harvest. That's what God chooses in us. That's what God desires in us. That's what God wants out of us. What happens is, God wants us to produce His goodness and His grace... Throughout all the earth. But then we see a failure in stewardship in verse 25. In verse 25, it says, but while his men slept, while his men slept, guess, guess what? We're the men. Look at the person next to you and say, you the man. Even if you're a lady, you still the man in this instance. While men slept, while men slept, the enemy came in. You see, we're called to be stewards over the Word of God and the Kingdom of God in the world that we live in. We're called as, as followers of Jesus Christ. Now I'm not talking put your dukes up and fight it out with somebody over scripture. We, 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 we took a look at that this past Wednesday night. In service, I'm not talking about you. You you bloody somebody knows because they have a difference in a, a a biblical theology than you do. I'm not. I'm not talking about that. But but we are keepers of the seed. We are to be distributing the grace and the love of God in the world that we live in. I don't believe that God has called us to secret service Christianity. I thought thought about another parable of the man that, that, that gathered and kept gathering wheat in his barn. He kept gathering wheat in his barn and he said, Oh my, my barn is full. I'm going to have to tear down this barn and build even bigger barns. And we find that the scripture says that the Lord actually called that man a fool. He said, You fool, tonight... It's going to be required of you. You see, God has not called us to consume His word and His spirit that we may just fill our barn up and have it and, and, and say, man, look, my barn is full. I got, I got more tonnage of grain in my barn than you've got in your barn. My barn is so full. Man, I've had to build four extensions. Uh, let me tell you, if your barn is so full that you can't contain everything that God has given you, there's something wrong because we're supposed to be distributing The seed. Does that make sense? Have I lost any of y'all yet? But while men slept, enemy, the enemy, not a enemy, but the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. Now here is the problem. Here is the problem. Here, here's what happens. The servants are responsible for the, ki- for the kingdom. We, we, we were given as humanity, Adam and Eve were actually given to us. But the Edenic Covenant, and the Edenic Covenant means that Adam was appointed to populate the earth, to watch over the earth, and he was even given the responsibility or allowed the responsibility of naming all the creatures that would co-inhabit the earth. God gives so, he, he he gives so many instructions about how to take care, and this this is not a tree hugger message. Okay, this is, has nothing to do with the EPA or anything like that. But God gave instructions to take care of the earth, as far as rotating crops, even instructed of, of taking a year of jubilee, a year of rest for the land. So this sermon is not about protecting an environment, but we do have a certain biblical responsibility to take care of the atmosphere that we live in. But it's talking about a kingdom of heaven. It's not only about this physical world, but it's about taking care of the spiritual world that we live in. And the church needs to guard herself. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to be guarded against the sin of complacency. You know, we like preaching against... Smoking, chewing, cussing, dipping, running around on your wife, running around on your husband—adultery, fornication. Yeah, you know, we 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 got all kinds of things that we can preach on. And and and, and I remember one time in a camp meeting, and John and Millie will know where I'm talking about. They called it the Piney Camp Meeting. It's a camp meeting held in a barn every year over there. You know where I originate out of. And it's been, I can remember the early days. It's got locust poles stepping up in the middle. This looks like a barn. I remember before they even put concrete on the floor. It was the old sawdust floor. And somebody said, boy, I miss those days. Not me because that old sawdust, that dust is in July. Camp meetings in July and August and it get all hot and sweaty in there and people get kicking around in that dust. And you look, go, go out and somebody look like you've been already been in the coal mine working, you know, when we'd go out of there. And, and then, and then in in the, in the absolute necessity that you just couldn't hold it any longer there was two little white buildings down over the hill out back and that's where you had to go and there wasn't any lights there in the night time either that was camp meeting though it was good old days that we talked, but there were good meetings and there there were good services in that day, and 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 and, and there was a lot of preaching, and there was one old fellow used to come, and he was a he ran a store, and uh, and for many many years there was a blue law you couldn't open your store on Sunday, but then whenever that law changed he began to open his store. They had to evangelist red hot one of the more time pentecostal evangelists in there preaching and he would preach he'd preach on adultery and he'd preach on fornication and he preached on women's clothes and he preached on you know just you know all of that all, all that mainline stuff and every time he had hit on something that old that old brother would sit back there near the back every single year he'd say shake that bush one more time brother I'll tell you who I'm talking about later on. Preaching on this, preaching on Shake that bush one more time, brother. Come on now. Put the corn in the trough so the hogs can eat it. And then the preacher started preaching about. And these proprietors opening their businesses on Sunday. The bush started, the bush quit shaking in that moment. You know, we can preach and we can talk about a lot of different things, but this morning, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm ministering to you about the work, or if you would, the sin of complacency. The, the sin of complacency is actually the, it is a friend of our enemy, Satan. Samson's complacency, uh, he, you know, he went to sleep in Delilah's lap and look what happened. Slumbering would cause five out of ten virgins to miss their bridegroom. Uh, in Solomon in his wisdom he said it's it's the little foxes, it's the, the things that we don't expect, the things that we come complacent to that destroy divine. Rich Mullins, some of y'all remember him, the late Rich Mullins, he's passed away now. He, he wrote that song, Our God is an Awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Uh, uh, Rich Mullins once said, more than the persecution of the art uh, Russia, uh, or China or ISIS is the sin of complacency that every believer should be fighting against. Complacency. You see, complacency is what is when we will go to sleep. Complacency is when we will doze off. Complacency is, is, is when we, we're just kicked back and we're not paying any attention anymore. Complacency is when we doze off. And that's when the enemy will show up. The enemy is known to be subtle. In fact, if you go back and you read Genesis chapter three and verse one, you read of Satan, and it says he was more subtle, had more subtlety than any beast of the field. It's when we're asleep that the enemy will come. Now I know we live in a day, and I I, let let me tell you something. When I first came here to this church, uh, uh, I came out of I came out of Max Meadows, Virginia. Max Meadows Church, I pastored there almost 10 years, and in 10 years, we had, I think it was five or six break-ins at the church while I was there. The last one, they took a pickup truck and set a post against the doors and pushed the back doors out of the church. You know, I thought that that I didn't think any other place in the world could be like that. And I get over here to this church, and and, and uh, man, uh, the impressive facility that we get we have here. And I, I walk in, and I, and one of the first things I think that uh, Dave Lester, show, Dave, little Dave Lester, showed me was how to work the alarm system. Either he or Mike Dillow showed me that. They gave me my coat. I said, an alarm system. I said, what in the world do you need an alarm system for? They said, you. They ain't never lived in Blue Well before. Listen, the thief doesn't come when everybody's wide awake. The sower of the bad seed did not come while everybody was out in the field hoeing, raking, and doing everything else they knew. The, 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 the sower of the tear came. While men slept, I gotta hurry up here. So, don't expect. You see, one of the things that mislead us so much. We we we've been we were taught we've been taught through the years, my generation at least, and probably at least the generation or two before me. We're been, we've been talk, taught about the red suit, the horns, and the pitchfork. When you read when you read about Satan, Satan is full of subtlety. And when you read about him, he was, his name was Lucifer. He was, he was actually an archangel. He was the most, perhaps the most beautiful of the angels. Listen, don't think that the devil is ugly. He may be ugly under the surface, but don't think he is ugly on the surface. And while you're dozing off, and if you're caught up, or I'm caught up in complacency, the enemy will come along, and even if he do- doesn't do it in a, in a uh, absolute huge way, some ob- obvious way, the enemy will come along while we're complacent and he will sow tares among the wheat. He's been doing it all of his life, per se. He did it with Adam and Eve. He's still doing it today. Now, the weeds in the King James refers to it as tare or tares. Let me tell you something about the tear that's described. And when you flesh out, as our, my friend Jim Moran used to say, when you flesh out the King James. Let me tell you something about the tare. The tear is a grain. It's actually a weed. It's not really a true grain. But the seed of a tear rem- looks remarkably like the seed of a wheat. A, seed, a, a kernel, if you would, of tare, in other words, looks like a kernel of wheat. And you don't really notice the difference. You know, while men slept, they they may have got up the next morning and walked down their fields and looked at the rows, and they thought, Man, man, the wheat, you know, we got all the seeds out here, man. It's not gonna be long before all this wheat's gonna be taking root and sprout. And and they didn't even notice the tear because the tare looks so much like the wheat. You see, sometimes in our life, Our lives, if you would, because it encompasses all of us. Sometimes when we're slept, when we're complacent, that's when we find the enemy will come in and he will sow things. It'll be a little bit of this and a little bit of that or something. Something that maybe looks like the real thing, but it's not. See, faking it, but not making it. Are you with me? Faking it, but not making it. You see, the enemy will come in and make everything look good and hunky-dory as we used to say. And even if we spot the seeds, most of the time we're not going to think anything about it because we don't recognize it as being false. That seed t- took root That seed will take root in our lives. It'll take root right beside the wheat. And let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big agriculturalist, but I do know this. With most, most crops, the root takes place before the sprout comes up. The root takes growth before the sprout comes up. But then the sprout comes up. And it grows, and as it grows and it and it and it comes to maturity and it comes to fruition, suddenly somebody goes out in the field and they see everything that we've got out here in our field is not wheat. There's weeds among the wheat. Where did it come from? How did that happen? We know, those of you the garden, you know, weeds, weeds, man, they're such a nuisance, especially thistles. Thistles, this, where do they come from? I don't know. But they blow around in the air and things, but, but, but suddenly, put yourself in the mindset of, uh, of this, the, of these people that walk out in the field and they've tried to, they, they thought they were studious, they thought they were doing good, but suddenly they go out when, they, when the weed is gaining maturity. In other words, when this whole thing is about over with they realize there's something other than wheat growing in their field. Wow. So they say to the sower of the seed, the man that owns the property, Jesus, if you would, in the parable. They said, okay, what do we need to do? You want us to go out and start pulling this up? And he says, no, 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 no. You can't pull up now because if you start pulling up now because roots intertwine. It's another message. I don't know if I've ever preached it here at Voice of Praise or not, but I have another message that, you know, that I've used over, from time to time over the years. And it uses the giant redwood trees of California as a, uh, as a metaphor, as an illustration. And do you know this, that the giant redwood trees and, and you know, they grow hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet tall and you hardly ever hear of a redwood tree blowing over. Do you know why? Because their roots intertwine. And you can't blow just one tree over. You would have to blow the whole grove or the whole forest over. You see, when when the roots of the tar intertwine with the, the roots of the wheat and you begin to pull it up and you begin to yank it up and you begin to try to fix everything, then you're going to injure or you're going to pull up The good. All that happened because men slept. I will say this to you and take this as you will. But even as Christians, we must learn there's some things in our walk with God that are better left alone. It's actually a somewhat a principle of wisdom. You see, when Jesus instructed pulling these weeds, what he was saying was, it's not worth the risk. He was sharing with them, it's not worth the risk. Because what this displays, when Jesus said, don't pull up the weeds because you're going to pull up wheat, what he was actually, it's a tremendous message of God's love. Because he said, my love for the real thing far exceeds the violation of the tire, The weed. And sometimes we can do more damage. We can do damage to believers. We can do damage to people that that, that are that are honestly following the Lord if we're not really careful. I understand there's sometimes things have to be addressed, that we can't resist, but we we, but we have to just resist the urge to, to, to just arbitrarily pull up the weeds. And we, like the wheat, we are intertwined with the tares of this world. Do I like everything I see in the world? Absolutely not. Do I like everything that I see in my, in my family? No. Am I pleased with everything that I see in the church universal? No. Am I pleased with everything that always happens at Voice of Praise Worship Center? Which is you guys. No. You're not pleased with me. I'm not foolish enough to think that. At least not all the time. Am I pleased? But but because I am displeased, I cannot just go out and say, you know, I I, I, you know, I can't go out and start making decisions and start uprooting because if I uproot, I'm going to destroy some good. I have to have wisdom, and I have to have knowledge, and I must have understanding. But the problem here is not. If we want to say, well, well, we, we need to do something about this and that. Well, listen, I can't do anything about what's happened in the past. But here's where I'm at today. I can't afford to go to sleep. I can't afford to become complacent. I can't afford to to allow the enemy to come while I'm dozed off and sow tares among the wheat. I must stay on guard. I must stay on post. I must keep alert. Do we have to like it? Of course not. We don't have to like it. But God has called us to this. I want to share with you just a little bit more from Matthew chapter 13. This is what Jesus said. He said, then he left the crowds. And he went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and, and the reapers are the angels." So just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and they will and will they will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father, the one who has ears let him hear. Man, so Jesus Jesus explains his own parable while men slept. That's the, entire, that's the whole problem while men slept. That comes down to me and to you. comes down to our forefathers of the faith. While men slept, while men slept, the enemy came along. Now, what what, what does it it mean to to be asleep? And, you know, listen. While men slept, it doesn't mean that we have to be standing guard around the church here. It doesn't doesn't mean that that we, we have to have torches and... Swords, you know, and, 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 man, you know, be, be like old Peter, you know, old Peter, he, he slices the centurion's ear off. You know, you know, P- Peter was, Peter was so messed up, man, he, he couldn't even aim straight. He meant to bust that guy right down the center of the head and he missed his whole head, just got his ear. You know, so sometimes, sometimes our aim even ain't even right. But he, here's the reality of it. While men slept. When we, when we, if we are given over to complacency, if we, if we have lost our desire for the Word of God, if we've lost our desire for prayer, if we've lost our desire to seek God, if we've lost our desire to 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 to, to gather into worship with with the family of God, if, if we, if if our desire for God has left, if we have went to sleep and we're complacent, listen to me. I promise you, while you're asleep, the enemies want to come in, and there's going to be some tires that will be thrown into your life and you're not even going to know it until it's too late. Same goes for me. And what happens then is, what Jesus is saying, let me put this in good old West Virginia, you just going to have to live with it until He comes. And ain't nobody you can kick except yourself and myself. While we're asleep... We've let the enemy come in. While we've been asleep, we've let the enemy come in. And, and, you know, a lot of things, you know, and, and yes, it is the devil's fault, but maybe it's because men asleep. Maybe what's going on in your family, and I'm not trying to condemn you or push you down, but maybe what's going on in your family is because you were asleep. Maybe what's going on in your home is because maybe you were asleep. Maybe what's going on, going on in my home, in my family, in my life. Maybe what's going on in the church world is because the church has been asleep. Wow And now we can't fix it. Now we can't straighten everything out. But what we can do is make a commitment, one of y'all, whoever's on the plane. What we can do is make a commitment from this point. I'm not going to be called sleeping on my watch. I'm not going to be caught dozing on my watch. Jesus may come today, but he, but then again, he may not come for a, a, another two or three, four years. He might not come for 20 or 30 years. I, I, I find it hard to comprehend that, but, but he may not. He only knows when he's going to come. But I'm going to commit to one thing. I am not going to sleep on my watch again. I'm not going to give up my, allow myself to be given over to complacency again. I have kids depending on it. I have grandkids depending on it. Some of you have great grandkids depending on it. Some of you have parents depending on it. Some of whatever the situation is, I am not going to sleep on my watch ever again. Because there's an enemy that will come along and sow bad seed right in the middle of everything. It'll look good, but it's not good. And when I figure it all out, there's not going to be a whole lot I can do about it. Thank God for grace. Thank God for His love and His mercy that sees us through the difficult times. That same old brother that used to say, Shake that bush one more time, preacher. Loved, I loved the man. He, he didn't have, he couldn't read or write. He, he actually preached very well, though. Take that mush one more time. He also had an, he, and he would say, "Put the corn in the trough, preacher. Let the let the hogs eat it." But he had another say. He said, "Honest confession is good for the soul, but it can be bad for the reputation." But I want to make an honest confession to you. I've been following Jesus. I've been. My first encounter with Him was when I was about twelve years old. But I, I, I have been. I have been. I, I hesitate to use the word diligent, but I, I will use that in a relaxed term. I diligently have been following Jesus since nineteen seventy nine. But I want to tell you something. In those years, 44, right? In those 44 years, I've been caught sleeping. Several times. In that 44 years, I've dozed off. In that 44 years, I've found myself moving. And I found the old adage, if you snooze, you lose, can be true. Not that I'm better than any of you all, but I have a good notion if in those 43 years I found myself dozing off a few times, I'd say there's a good possibility that there's some other people in this room that dozed off the time. In fact, you might be dozing right now. You may be be sleeping with one eye open, or you may be knocked out. Don't have a clue what's going on. You're so deep in sleep. But I want to tell you something today. Just like the five wise and the five foolish that I mentioned early on, before the knock, on the door before somebody says rise up the bridegroom coming I'm urging you today get up retrieve your lamp off have it full of oil and make sure the light is burning brightly because we don't want to give place to the enemy to sow anything in the good soil that is before us and those of you that are parents in this room especially, I, I thank God. I don't know how many is over there this morning in that, in that children's church. I'd say they're just judging what I saw. There's probably around 20 kids over in children's church this morning. Let me tell you something. They are dependent on you mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas. They're dependent on us not to be sleeping. If you know, if you know some booger was going to come get them in the middle of the night, you'd stay up all night to protect them Wouldn't you let me tell you, it ain't the boogeyman that you gotta worry about. Don't go to sleep for the sake of your children. Don't go to sleep for the sake of anybody in your house. Don't go to sleep for the sake of your church. Don't go to sleep for the sake of the kingdom of God. But be ever more awake. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Damn, if you want to do some vocals, it would be great. If you have never been saved, if you have never been born again, i got some devastating news for you. You'll never inherit the heavenly kingdom. Heaven. That we think about. This atmosphere that you're living in right now is probably the best you'll ever have. It's not all that good. I don't think. I enjoy life. Don't get me wrong. But if this is what heaven is like, I, I don't know. But if you don't know Jesus, this is the best you're ever going you to have. I want you to realize that. And this morning, if you're in this room and you're not saved, or if you're, if you're unsure of your salvation, today is a good time to make that decision. I want to inherit that heavenly kingdom. I want to inherit that kingdom that I, that I has not beheld. We, we don't know the beauty other than what John shares with us in the scripture. You're in this room this morning and you're not saved. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you and I'm not going to pull a plot at you but I'd just like you to know how to pray for you. in so one room. hands bowed, eyes closed. Flip up your hands and say, Pastor, pray for me. I know I need to be saved. Anybody in this room. I need to rededicate my life. to one word. by the lack of response everybody in this room is ready to meet Jesus that's wonderful that's glorious but I want to ask you another question are you in this room you realize that your relationship with Jesus is not what it once was perhaps you're asleep perhaps you need renewal perhaps you need revival perhaps you need a new scurrying soul. You need a rekindling of the desire for the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You need a rekindling and a, 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 a new desire for for the fellowship of the family of God. That you, give without embarrassment, just wave your hand at me real quick. Pastor, I need to be woke up. I realize that anybody in this room right now thank you. Number of hands have gone up in this room. Pastor, I need an awakening in my life. In order for there to be an awakening, somebody has to realize they're asleep. This is what I want to ask you to do. Everybody that can and will in this room, I want you to come up. And I want us to pray and believe God for an awakening to occur occur in life in this room this morning. There have been a number of hands raised. Those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to come right along with everybody else that's here this morning. We're just gonna pray and ask God and believe for stirring in our lives.